You know, faith is a choice. Um, for me, at least. For some people, it's an ideology. For me, it's a choice. I, I choose to believe that whatever happens to me is for me. You know, it's happening for me rather ha than happening to me. And uh, this certainly has challenged that. Welcome to another episode of the Anonymous There podcast. I'm your host, Joe Chura. And on today's show, I'm setting it up from beautiful Lake Tahoe, California, which could not be more fitting for my guest, who is an award-winning poet. He is a Grammy Award winner. He is a songwriter. He has a brand new Amazon Prime special out, a book that recently dropped called Inquire Within. I'd like to introduce you, if you don't know him already, to InQ. On today's show, InQ and I talk a lot about perspective. We talk about following your passion. This is not about how to get ripped or what to eat or how to work out. This is more about mental clarity and how do you overcome things and how do you change your mindset when things get tough. He also graces us with a few poems, which is just awesome. I can't wait for your feedback on this one. Leave your comments. Please follow this podcast, if you will. It means a ton to me. But until then, until you can do those things, just listen and enjoy this episode with InQ. So I have with me, as promised, InQ. What's up, InQ? How you doing today? I'm great, buddy. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks so much for being here. I uh, love your book, Inquire Within. It's uh, it's fantastic and uh, and something that I encourage everyone to pick up and read, especially now to get some introspective in life. I know I know a lot of people are going through some tough times with COVID. And we're going to get into to some of that, but I'd love to kick it off with a poem, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. As we uh, discussed before we started, I'll do say yes, because I feel like it's appropriate to the moment. Fantastic. Thank you. It's hard for me to say yes. I mean, it's easier for me to say next year. When the weather's fine, when I have the money or the time or the relationship I want or the career or the house or the car or the watch, watch, life pass me by waiting for an invitation when the world is greater than my nation or my occupation. The only thing I know is that we're all in this together. And the future of this earth depends on how we treat each other. But how we treat each other starts with how we treat ourselves. And how we treat ourselves starts with how we see ourselves. And how we see ourselves starts with context. I mean, nothing can exist without its opposite. Remember this the next time you find you're in an argument and both sides are talking sh and you forget your point except you're angry now and want to win so you continue yelling till they give it up by giving in so you can stand victorious because you're right. On what again? <laughs> do we laugh on instinct or do we choose to laugh? 
Do we ask because we care or do we merely ask? I ask you this because I care about how humans act. We're animals aware of our future and our past, and this can be an obstacle to traveling our path. Instead of just accepting where we're at, we analyze our tracks for what we could have had, looking back, focused on the memories instead of on the facts, hence what we attract. Still, it's strange to factor in how fast it really flashes past. It's an exponential graph from creation into ash. Me, I'm sentimental one minute. Then I'm making plans, staking claims, shaking hands, breaking out or breaking in. I have about a billion mimes hidden underneath my skin, and they pull my face into this grin or push my wrinkled forehead in. So pour the gin and philosophize, because no one has your awesome eyes. Your view is worth the lows and highs you'll go through on this roller coaster ride. Control has got us holding on when letting go could be more fun. Hands up, embrace the drop. Eventually your life is gonna stop. It's gonna level out then come back up until you reach a different top because one day all your wheels fall off. So take advantage of your shocks. Do something you've never done. Do someone you've never done. Go someplace you've never gone, someplace that will scare you. Son. Be someone you've never been. You feel all that adrenaline? It's medicine to jumpstart a spark inside your skeleton. See, everywhere you are is where you're supposed to be. So hopefully, you're hopelessly as lost as me. Because if you're not, you ought to be. That was awesome. Thank you so much for that. Thanks. Q, when did you write that? That particular piece I wrote right after a trip to New Zealand. And... I have to give a little more context. You know, I never made any money as an artist in a significant way until I was past 30. So there were many years where I was struggling and uh, trying to figure out, you know, how to make rent or buying gas with change, all the things that struggling artists have to do along the way. And when I finally started to make a little bit of money, I realized that I really hadn't left LA. I had been kind of confined to where I grew up for most of my life. And I decided that I wanted to start saying yes to life. So I booked a trip to New Zealand by myself. And I went and I had this unbelievable adventure. And on the way back, I crystallized that thought in my mind that it was going to be a period of saying yes and getting outside of my comfort zone and trying new things and going new places and meeting new people and just being more open to life. Because I would say, even aside from the finances, you know, in that earlier part of my life, I just wasn't open. And so it was almost a declaration of a new chapter in my life.
going back to when you were you were younger and freestyling, listening to hip hop, did you ever think you'd be writing books, winning poetry slams and finding yourself on Oprah's Super Soul 100 list? Or I know you have a, a song, Love You Like a Love Song by uh, Selena Gomez that you wrote that I think right now is what, 300 million views or something like that? Quite a bit. I don't check. Or, or listens. <laughs> <laughs> it's Well, it's, it's popular. Um, so how did you go from that period of your life or, or, and, and now, and, and you look back and say, how did I get here? Or, or was it just a, a constant evolution of following, you know, that path and your journey? Well, I think I've always followed my enthusiasm, but it's been a bumpy road. That's a good way to explain it. I grew up in uh, Santa Monica, California, and my father wasn't around. My mom's a school teacher, so she raised me on her own. And I fell in love with hip hop, as you were mentioning earlier, in my early teens, I would say. And started freestyling because I just needed an outlet. And it was the only place in my life that I felt powerful. You know, it was a place where I could own a moment. And it was almost, I would say, my first form of meditation. Because when you're freestyling, you don't think about anything else but the next line and the next rhyme. So it puts you directly into the moment. And I just decided that I wanted to be a rapper for the rest of my life. And then when I was probably 16, I wound up at uh, this thing called the UCLA Young Writers Retreat. I guess my school was giving out opportunities. They were like partial scholarships to go to this writer's retreat. And it was kids from all around Los Angeles. And, you know, you would go and you spend a weekend in Lake Arrowhead and you would explore writing. And so that year that I went, there was a guy named Jack Grapes, who's a, uh, still an incredible poet, who was hired as the poetry facilitator for the weekend. And he got on stage and he started talking about poetry and different ways to write. And I remember a very specific thought I had. I remember sitting there thinking, huh, I didn't know that you could be a professional poet. Like, I didn't even know it was possible. And I almost don't remember anything else from that weekend. I have a horrible memory. I have like vague and ambiguous memories, uh, probably because I don't want to remember stuff. But anyway, it stayed with me. And then many years later, I wound up in an open mic for poets in LA called The Poetry Lounge. And uh, I just signed up on the list. And I got up on stage and started doing my rapping a cappella. And over the years, that community became a family. And, you know, we ended up winning the National Poetry Slam Championships together. And I was on HBO's Deaf Poetry Jam. And still at that time, I considered myself a rapper. And then, I don't know, something clicked. I woke up one day and I realized I was more of a poet than an MC. And that was the beginning of the poetic journey, at least. So who were your other influences when you were into to hip hop at a younger age? I mean, I loved Nas. Illmatic was one of the best albums and still is that I've ever heard. I remember I took shrooms. 
you can edit this out if you want. That's all and, good. Uh, okay, so I took shrooms and I put my head literally up to the boombox. You know, it was tape. So I put yeah. my head up to the boombox and that was how I got surround sound at that time. And uh, I just played the whole album while I was tripping. And by the end of it, I was like, oh, okay, I understand. Nas is God. And that was my big realization for that shroom trip. So I met him many years later, and it was almost like uh, meeting God. But there were so many people uh, during that specific period of time that were pushing the boundaries. There was a sense of infinite possibility, um, unbridled creativity, excitement, passion around hip hop. And for many years, you know, people said, oh, this is a fad. You know, it's, it's going out. And yet now it's the biggest music in the world. Sometimes I, I think like, I wonder what it's like for people coming up listening to hip hop these days, because you have J. Cole and Kendrick Lamar and these unbelievable artists who are out there. Um, but there was something very specific about that time period. Uh, it was almost before it had been overly commercialized. And so there was a sense of discovery. And you felt like you were a part of the movement and the culture. Even as a white guy, all of us in my you know, friend group and neighborhood, we had a sense of ownership over this music. We would we were religious. We would argue with each other about the best MCs. You know, I mean, you had a sense that you were a part of something. And if you were uh, a hip hop head, you were almost a hip hop head first. So, you know, to answer your question in a really long way, no, I, I never considered myself, you know, a writer or, you know, in terms of author, or I never considered myself a songwriter. I never thought I would be helping to pen pop songs or anything like that. But life unfolds. And one thing I have learned is if, if you're in the river, which we all are, are all in the river, uh, you can hold on to the rocks or you can let go and take the ride. And so uh, I'm taking the ride. I know you talked about the relationship with your father a bit. Do you think that kind of influenced your your inner kind of soul to want to ex express yourself in this way to, to kind of get those those feelings out um and and how and if he like do you think things would have been different had he been around when you were younger i mean definitely things would have been different if he had been around but i'm not sure if they would have been better or worse i'm happy with who i am and if I'm happy with who I am, and by the way, I just want to say one thing. I don't mean like I'm a finished product. I'm still in process like everybody is, but I know who I am and I love who I am. And I, you know, if any single thing was different, I wouldn't be sitting with you right now in the way that I am. And so I, I don't regret anything or wish anything was different. You know, I've truly uh, forgiven myself and anyone else that I felt like wronged me over the years. In fact, I have gratitude for them because 
I get to be who I am now. I talk about this a lot on the on the show, but it's it is so true that the there's a f- few things that could have changed in life, just those few either choices or things that have happened to you, and how you reacted to them can, that can change your entire trajectory. And I want people to realize too, like when things like that happen, it's about opening that door and exploring what's on the other side of that. You know, what's in that room? What's on the other side of that door? Because it is, uh, it's probably another story that's going to take you somewhere else that you, you're you meant to be. And uh, like I had mentioned to you earlier, when I was, uh, when I turned 15, I kind of lost my father and, you know, not physically, but pretty much lost him and lost him physically about a decade later. But I, I too like look at that and, and, um, you know, as sad as that that was, like, you know, things were happening for a reason. He was living his life that way for a reason. And that was, you know, God bless him. That was dictating me to go a certain way. And, and I wouldn't change that. You know, I wish he was still around, but I, you know, I can't change that, obviously. So um, I totally respect what you're saying. And, and you're right. I would never have uh, met my wife if, if I hadn't been in a certain place in a certain time. And that wouldn't have happened if those other things didn't happen. Hmm. Have you forgiven your dad? Do you feel at peace? Yeah, I, th- I think I have. You know, it's, uh, it's something I don't talk about a ton. Mm-hmm. So I do, I do think there's something there that I'm trying to get through. But it's, uh, I, I do look at, I've been looking more lately at the positives and, and all of the, the good things. Because certainly you can dwell on the bad and no one's perfect. I certainly am not. But it's, you know, it's, it, it, it was tough at the time. But, you know, again, I look at if he would see me now and he would see this world. Um, he was an audiophile guy. So the fact that I'm even doing a podcast, he'd be proud of, you mm. know, let alone anything else. So it's, uh, it, you know, it's just taking the pauses from, I think, the people you learn from and the family and, and, uh, and just really trying to remember those because it's easy to remember negative things. I mean, we all have a negativity bias. I think the stats like eight to one, you remember more negative right. than positive in your life. And, and uh, you know, just kind of getting getting through that. But, you know, hearing your story and hearing, you know, just just what you said on how you, uh, you know, you, you don't have any ill will toward anyone and you're, you're happy where you're at. And I, I feel the same exact way. Hmm. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Like, there's this balancing act that we all do consciously or unconsciously between acknowledging... Uh, our emotions and releasing them like you know emotions energy and motion releasing the energy so that it can move um, so that it doesn't trap inside of us and become other things and then also not giving into those emotions so much that you wind up perpetuating them or victimizing yourself or any of those types of things And it's an interesting balancing act that we all do because if we ignore our emotions and just focus on the positive stuff and move forward, those emotions are still inside of us. But if we just totally go, all right, you know, I'm just going to feel through all of these emotions, then we just wind up sitting there and doing nothing but feeling. Um, So... That's been, at least for myself, something that I've certainly worked through. I've worked through my anger. I've worked through my sadness. I've worked through my disappointment. 
and I've tried to alchemize it. And then uh, I've also tried to mirror that onto other people through my work so that maybe they have the same playbook uh, that I have. I mean, all of the, the writing that I do, you know, you asked me about Say Yes at the beginning of uh, the podcast. It's me talking to myself first. You know, they're reminders of me trying to live uh, my fullest potential. And then hopefully when I repeat them enough, they actually settle in. And hopefully when I repeat them enough in front of other people, uh, those people can feel a little bit less alone. Has there been one of your poems that has stuck with you more than, more than others? You know, I would say that the piece that I wrote about my father is probably the one that is closest to my core because I think I had to get over a lot to be able to embody the words of the poem. Um, but when people ask me what my favorite poem is, I always say the next one because it's the closest to creation. And, you know, the poems don't come from us, they come through us. And that's a microcosm for life and creativity in general. You know, I, I consider myself almost like a uh, firefly catcher. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to communicate with the muse and I don't judge her when she shows up. I just uh, allow her to use me and then hopefully I create something that's worth sharing with a bunch of other people. Um, so the thing that is closest to creation is always my favorite because it's uh, uh, closest to God, I guess. Do you, do you have to tell yourself sometimes to slow down and enjoy the experience versus looking at the the outcome and trying to get to the outcome because that's that's one thing I've learned over the last decade or so is I was I was going so hard toward an outcome that that I missed some of the enjoyment of the experience along the way. Yeah, do you have any like specific examples of that or? Well, I mean it's. It's been an evolution of of time since I created uh, uh, you know, two companies in 2011 and then 2013, respectively. But you know, basically, I I was like, okay, one day we will sell these companies. I never went in with that that intention, but as we were growing, I was thinking about it. And then once we did, I look back, and although I enjoyed a ton of moments, I realized that many times I was just really stressed. And not, hmm. and not necessarily letting things happen, but making things happen. Yeah, look, man, I, I can certainly relate to that. I think one of the things that the pandemic has actually taught me on a deeper level, you know, these were concepts that I certainly explored before, but I think they um, just impacted me on a deeper level, is just that you're not what you do. I mean, who you are can be intertwined with what you do. Uh, but they're also separate. 
And I think that for whatever reason, when I started creating, it became enmeshed with my identity, you know? And so there's a part of me that, of course, wants people to enjoy my work and, you know, my ego gets some validation and value from that. And I make a living doing what I love. And so there's a level of pressure and expectation around that. Um, but when I first started, there was really nothing but me having something that I wanted to say through this particular uh, art form. And so I've been trying to uh, get back to that because all of that pressure and expectation causes stress. I think that there are moments that you have to push through. If you want to build anything really big, you have to use whatever fuel you can use at times to bring it into reality because it's very difficult. But um, what got you here won't get you there. And so you have to always kind of ask yourself, well, what fuel source are you using? You know, is the fuel source desperation? <laughs> you know, is, is the fuel source obsession? Is the fuel source need? Uh, is the fuel source validation? Like all of these, these things, right? Um, and I want my fuel source to be love. At, not to sound like overly corny, but um, that's what I want. And so when I realized that I was using alternate fuel sources that weren't necessarily healthy for me, I very consciously tried to be aware of what I'm using to motivate myself to build the next thing and to hopefully find a way to have these goals but not be so attached to the outcome that I don't enjoy what's happening in the moment. Yeah, that's that's great advice. And it's funny, I've, I'm thinking about it now as I go through this podcast journey and and trying to be you know, a trust agent to help others get through periods of their life. And I'm trying to tell myself, hey, enjoy this period, enjoy this period because I, I've got through kind of that other period of my life where um, I shouldn't say get through it. I'm still, I'm still doing it. <laughs> I'm still actively an entrepreneur and still run, run a company. Um, but the, but this new journey I'm looking at and, and I'm saying, okay, you have to take the time and enjoy it. And what I realized, it's easy to say once you've accomplished something to look back and say, oh, I wish I would have enjoyed it. But now when you're in it again, you're kind of doing the same thing. And that's why I got to keep reminding myself, slow down. Hmm. Yeah, I feel you, man. We're, we're definitely on the same page with that. Who has, uh, outside of musical influences, do you have any mentors or any other folks that inspired you along your journey? Because I, I know it's been a long one, too. And that's the other thing that I'd love to understand more. Maybe this is a two-part question then. So that, that any inspiration or mentors along the way. And then secondly, it's, it's great to see your book. It's great to see your Amazon special. It's great to know you're doing all these things. Those are outcomes of every, all the practice and the probably hundreds of thousands of hours that you put into this craft. Maybe start with, with the mentor first, but then how much work it takes to get there because a lot of times people see the outcomes and 
they start going down a path of whatever they want to achieve, they find it out it's hard and then they stop. Yeah, I mean, that's why if you're going to do something that's really difficult, at least the initial inspiration. Well, I don't know. I was going to say something and now I'm disagreeing with myself in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) For me, the initial inspiration was love. And then it changed over time. You know, I remember I had this amazing uh, girlfriend. You know, everybody has the one that got away until they find the one. So she was the one that got away until I found the one. And now I'm so grateful to her and all of that. But an amazing woman. She was a young woman at the time. I think she was 22. And she had, this is years and years ago, she had uh, been a surfer. And she got offered a surf contract. And she turned it down. And I was like, why did you turn down a surf contract? She's beautiful and she was a great surfer and they were offering her real money at the time. And she said, because I don't want to have to do what I love for a living. I know it will change my relationship with what I love. And surfing is for me. And I remember being like, that's some bullshit, you know? (laughs) But now I'm like, yeah, I hear you. It's actually something I deeply respect. I mean, you know, what integrity to make that type of decision. Now, I decided to do what I love for a living, but it morphed over the years. And um, so now back to the question that you asked. And that I was disagreeing in my head. At first, I was like, oh, you have to do it with something that you love at the beginning. But then I thought, no, anything can really draw you into it. But whatever that thing that draws you into it, it has to be something that inspires you and moves you. It has to be something that wakes you up at night. It has to be something that you dream about. It has to be something that no one says, uh... I'm going to create a schedule for myself to work on this dream. No, you're always working on the dream because it's in you. It's in your cells. Um, And then it's not a choice. It chooses you. No matter what the fuel source is. So, uh, yeah, that's why when people ask me, hey, do you think I should be a professional poet? I'm like, if you have to ask me that question, the answer is no. Do I think you should be a poet? Yes. Do I think you should write as much as you want? Yes. Do I think you should share as much as you want? Yes. Should you get gigs if you can? Yes. But if you're questioning whether or not you should dedicate your life to it, then it's not necessary to your life like it was necessary to mine. There was nothing else I could have done. Um, so, uh, and then the the... Second answer is my mentors were my community. You know, there's not like a clear road to success as a modern day poet. There's not a clear road to monetization. So I had to create it. And we were all in the scene, building the scene in real time. So I didn't look to people who had come ahead of us. I looked to the people immediately around me and every time I would see other poets on stage, I would go back to my notebook and I would write, 
Some of the best art experiences I've ever had was watching another poet on stage. And that's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the art form. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way in the sense that my mentors were, in arch, were archetypes of a dozen different people from all over the place. You know, just people mm -hmm. I, most of them I never even met. Just like listen to, observe from. And it was. Did uh, you have any uh, mentors that were close to you? Not really. It was. Yeah. Uh, it was. They were all archetypes. They were all individuals that made up a mentor. I would say, and they were most of the people that I found through podcasts or through books, and how they've either ran a an organization or how they spoke to their team or how they were leaders, how they give back, um, and and that really kind of helped craft who I was and the leader I became. Now, over the last few years, I've, I've gained close to, a, I've grown close to a few people that I consider my mentor in certain areas, but that's, that's kind of a path I'm going now. Now is trying to find the best people in a given field and try to learn as much as I can from them. Yeah. And uh, you're doing that for other people as well, not only with the companies, but with the podcast. I mean, you're, impacting people that you'll never meet and you you know my mom always used to say this I, I think this is a really wise thing to keep in your pocket you never know how you impact people even in a random conversation you know you could just be chatting with someone and you say something and for you it's casual and you walk away and it plants a seed in their mind that grows into something else later and maybe they don't even connect the dots back to that conversation but we all deeply impact each other. And that's why it's important to choose our words carefully to others, but even to choose our words carefully to ourselves. And we don't know where this podcast is going to go. You know, 99 people might go, oh, that was cool. And one person might be like, I walked away with something that moved me enough to change something in reality, to make a decision in my life that moves me and my family and my community in a positive direction. Um, so it's an honor to be able to uh, speak to other people and it's an honor to be a, a link in the chain that you were a part of before and are still a part of, you know? Yeah, and that's, you said it so well, but that's exactly why I'm doing this is you, you, you put it out there and what I've realized is you're right, you have an impact on people and you don't even realize it and the refuel conference that you spoke at that I was I was talking about earlier, I think off off camera to you. Um, the reason why like that works is it is a day of giving back to what started off as employees, then to the general public. And and Q, there's probably ten to fifteen stories I get a year of how it mm. changed people's lives and people that were on their couch, got up and started running marathons and changed their health around that had diabetes or, or illnesses. Uh, people started companies out of it. So, so that, that in itself is so inspirational to me, the ability to have a stage to connect to help others. And the, uh, the one story I wanted to, to tell you uh, with regards to the impact on others, my wife and I, we... Uh, we're doing this journey for, it's a few months. And basically you, you, uh, 
kind of we we created our, our own rules in the sense that we need to work out every day. We need to do uh, a uh, meditation. We need to eat healthy, no alcohol. You know, all of these things. One of the things that that I did is I said, yeah, I'm going to give a public compliment uh, once a day for 75 days, but I'm not going to do it in a way where it's like, hey, Q's awesome. I'm going to tell a story about you and how you impacted my life. Mm-hmm. So I'm on I'm on day day 30. Uh, I, I'm on day 31 of of these stories, and and it is so therapeutic in a few ways. One of which to go back and, and kind of rebuild history of where you came from through photos or through looking at archives and looking at e- old emails and say like, wow, I, I did realize how important this person was, but now when I really dedicate words to write about these people, and, and they're like three, 400 words, it's not a book by any means, but it, it's enough to start thinking about. So I've been writing about people and, and, it's, and it's, uh, it's been incredible. Because when someone reads that on the other end, how it's been impacting them is in ways that I had no idea. And they don't know I'm writing about them either. So they'll wake up and they'll see a social post for me. And this, this one gentleman the other day, he was here. Um, we did this, this run a few years back with David Goggins at my house. And cool. he, brought, he brought his son here. And, and when I... When I told him, hey, it's going to be a five and a half mile run, his first instinct was, you know, I can't do that. Like my knee, my knees banged up. I'm like, David, man, you got to do it. Just do it. And he ended up doing it. And he did it with his son and he finished. And he has a picture with Goggins and it was so inspirational to him in his life. So fast forward, I write about how he overcame that adversity of that moment. Posted out there, didn't know, I, he had no idea I was posting it. I get a message a day and a half later, and he said, hey, man, I was having a really bad day. And, mm. and I woke up and I saw your message, and it just changed, it just changed everything. You know, it just changed my entire day around. And, um, and I thought that was just so profound in the sense that you don't know what you're doing and how it's going to impact others. That's a beautiful story, man. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, yeah. So I I want to shift a second here to uh, to COVID. Obviously, now it's it's been a tough time, and hopefully we're getting out of the woods. I don't think we're out of the woods, but we're getting out of the woods. And and a lot of people have changed the, changed their lives, and and I give parents huge respect for being able to homeschool their kids, and many of them working at the same time, and overcoming so many adversity, so much adversity and learning at the same time. And I've, I've been taking a stance of like, we got to play offense. Now's the time to start playing offense in your life and start to create change. And I know you got engaged during this time. And when I heard you speak, you said, listen, I want to, I want to look back at COVID and remember something really positive. Can you, can we explore that a little bit? Yeah. So, uh, we got engaged maybe five months ago now, and we're getting married this coming week. So that's really exciting. And uh, the thing that I would say to people is it changed the narrative for us for 2020. You know, uh, it's been a hard year for everyone. And we're clearly very privileged even to just 
have a roof over our head to know that that's, you know, stable to be able to talk to each other through this, you know, communication to know that you have a little bit of money. Um, but even with that, everyone has gone through their own difficult journey during this period of time, uh, outwardly and inwardly. And so for us as a couple to have a memory from 2020 where we committed our lives to each other, to have a moment where we celebrated our love was so special. And that is what we think about when we look back on last year. And so uh, I've been saying to people that, you know, that's a huge thing, you know, to get engaged is a big, big deal, but you don't have to change the narrative on such a large level. You could change the narrative, you know, for the year, or you could change the narrative for the month, or you could change the narrative for the week or for the hour. And you could do little things that allow you to remember that period of time from a place of possibility and hope. You know, faith is a choice. Um, for me, at least. For some people, it's an ideology. For me, it's a choice. I, I choose to believe that whatever happens to me is for me. You know, it's happening for me rather ha than happening to me. And uh, this certainly has challenged that. You know, the, the divisiveness that we've all experienced and the amount of death that is out there and the economic hardship and the quarantining. Um, but I believe that we're going to come out on the other side of this better. I believe that. And I believe that for myself and I believe that for uh, America and I believe that for humanity. I think that this was necessary. And um, so I, I want everybody out there, you know, if you take one thing from the podcast, maybe take changing the narrative. You could write down 20 ways or 10 ways that you could change the narrative at this point in your life so that you're telling yourself a different story so that you have a different memory. I absolutely love that and wholeheartedly agree. It's it is, uh, we're going to remember COVID, but to remember it in the, in the sense that you, know, you got engaged during this time where you changed your life. I know many people have had amazing accomplishments over this period because one, it's, I think they finally got a chance to slow down a bit and, and take advantage of, of what we have, which, you know, is two feet on the ground, hmm. which I think is, uh, is a crazy blessing all every day, obviously. And to your point is, is sad as some of the news is out there regarding COVID and what's done to people or, you know, unemployment. It's created this sense of adversity that I don't think we would have had otherwise. And I think that's how you grow. I mean, yeah, from, I, I, I agree. And I feel that nature is kind of putting us in a bit of a timeout. You know, I'm, I'm a capitalist. I say that, you know, with, uh, with pride. I'm not like one of these people that's like, capitalism is bad. No, I'm a capitalist. 
But I think we need to move into conscious capitalism because I think that this thing that we've done uh, that just consumes everything around us is unsustainable. And so I feel like Mother Nature is like, you know, pause for a bit. You're on a timeout. Think about what you've done individually and collectively and see if there are better ways that we can all do this together. And, you know, whenever a person goes through um, a trauma, they're thrown out of their comfort zone and they have at least an opportunity in that moment to see their lives differently and then make real change. And so I think this is our collective moment to do that. And um, as I said, faith is a choice and I choose to be faithful. That's great. Shifting to a, a fun question or hopefully <laughs> hopefully it's a fun fun question for you. What, what was... Uh, one of the craziest reactions that you've received from one of your performances from either a fan or someone in the crowd that you didn't expect? God, you know, I don't have one story that comes into mind, although I'm sure after the podcast ends, I'll be like, oh, I should have told Joe that <laughs> one. Um, but man, I've just had so many people that have made major life changes from either being in workshops with me or reading my book or uh, coming to a show. I've had so many people who have uh, used my poems to get married or, you know, at uh, the baby showers, you know, to read with their kids, uh, you know, um, just kind of countless stories like that, that, that continue to come in. And I'm always really humbled by it because I'm the first person in my audience. Like I said, I made these things for me. Um, but I give them away, uh, without expectation. You know, I give them away to other people so they can have a new life. And so it's always really humbling when, when people take these things and it becomes a part of their story. Can you explain how your virtual storytelling workshops work? Yeah, so that is probably the most powerful thing that I do. I mean, we've built a business that, you know, goes from songwriting to virtual shows, to live performances, to collaborations with huge brands that go out as commercials, to, I mean, you know, the, the list goes on and on. But, I, but the, the workshops hold a special place in my heart because that is my opportunity to give the gift that has given so much to me, to other people. And so people come into the workshop, whether it's virtual or whether it's live, um, and hopefully we'll go back to that sooner than later. And I perform a little bit. I kind of like open up the space and I'm asking people to be vulnerable. So when I ask people to be vulnerable, I feel like I have to lead by example. Otherwise, it's kind of irresponsible. And so I go into some personal poems and I open up about my life and then I give them prompts that are meant to lead them towards empowerment and possibility and overcoming their fears. 
and embracing their fullest potential in life. And you see people come in and they're like, I don't know what's going to happen or whether I should do it. And then as soon as it starts, their mind shuts off, their heart opens up, and it happens every single time, Joe. It doesn't matter what the group is, what the circumstances is. I've done hundreds and hundreds of these workshops from the biggest corporations to, you know, upward bound or uh, high school kids or, you know, and it never matters because people want to have an opportunity to explore meaningful themes and to be able to share it with other people and to be witnessed. And they think that they don't want to, but when they do it, there is such a release because the story be it becomes outside of them, so it has less power over them. And then to be witnessed and to be seen allows them to feel human. And then they connect with whoever it is that's in front of them deeper, which gives them better communication uh, and ultimately better collaboration. So when I do it for companies, there's a bond that lasts long after the session and when I do it for strangers, they walk in as strangers and they leave as a family. Um, it's really a beautiful, unique experience. I can't hype it up enough and it's difficult to explain, but it's unforgettable. How do companies or individuals find out more about that? Uh, you can go to my website, you know, in-q.com. In Q is short for in question. So it's in-q.com and, uh, and you can get some more information about the workshops. But um, yeah, they're, uh, they're something that shifts people in a really positive direction. So the in Q, did that just hit you one day or was that a series of exploratory exercises to create that? No, no, I was like 15, you know, otherwise I wouldn't be walking around as a grown man with a yeah. freaking nickname, you know, I was 15 years old and my friend said, your hip hop name should be Inquiry because you ask so many questions. I was always very curious about people. And uh, I think if, if I hadn't have wound up doing this and I didn't wind up doing something else, I, the thing I'm curious about is being a therapist sounds interesting to me. And so he said, yeah, Inquiry is a good name for you. And then people just started calling me InQ. And then people started calling me Q. And then uh, that's pretty much been my name forever, you know. My real name is Adam. And I'm, I'm fine when people call me Adam, too. I'm not, like, particular about it. <laughs> yeah, but, um, yeah, I don't, I don't introduce myself as InQ at dinner parties. Yeah, does but, your, fia um, does your fia uh, fiance, almost wife, call you Adam? Uh, no, yes. Name. Well, okay. she calls me babes. Uh, okay. She doesn't, uh, she good. almost never says either one of the names. And you also recently have a, a special out on Amazon Prime, right? Yeah. Yeah. We have a special on Amazon Prime that we sold out the Ace Theater in Los Angeles a few years back. So it was like 1,600, 1,700 people. And it was a star studded event. Chris Martin was there, Demi Moore was there, Rosario Dawson. And I got on stage and I did a full hour and it was filmed by City Drive Studios. 
and Amazon has exclusively released it now, so it's in the world. And I'm extremely proud of that. I'm extremely proud of the Inquire Within book. Um, we actually just got nominated for a prestigious audiobook award that I can't mention yet because they haven't uh, announced. But um, that's really, really special. And there'll be like a, a big gala for it. So uh, these are products, finally, that I have in the world. You know, for many years, Joe, I would just travel around and I would perform and I would just disappear. I had nothing that I could leave people with. And now I have the audio book, I have the physical book, we have this Amazon special and, um, and it's exciting because one thing builds on the next. This morning I got an email from uh, somebody that said they decided to put one of my videos out to their email list of uh, 25,000 people. And um, I just kind of opened my eyes and I, I saw that and I was like, huh, the internet is so incredible. I mean, I, I've had viral videos that have 50 million views, uh, but that's so crazy to think about that it's hard to even quantify. And yet, when you just wake up and somebody says, oh, I sent this out to 25,000 people, if just one of those people, as we were talking about before, listens to it and it makes their heart smile or brightens up their day or makes them think about something deeper, that's the you know, highest possibility for art. And it really is, like I said, humbling, and it really is an honor. That's, that's awesome. That, and I was telling you earlier how you know, I had these archetypes that I found online, and, and I can't tell you how much I've learned. I mean, it, it, just, just on the internet, like reaching out, you know, seeing... Um, someone speak about entrepreneurship and lessons learned. And this is 2011, 2012. And, and actually just by, just by sheer faith, the podcast I used to watch was This Week in Startups. And the attorney that advertised on that podcast, I reached out to. And by me reaching out to him and him cr helping me create the entity the way I did was such a blessing that I didn't realize that I knew kind of what I was doing, but I didn't realize the impact that that would have had five years later. And definitely mm -hmm. my business partners didn't either. And it's just, you're right. The internet is so amazing. And that's what, what I encourage people to do when they're down or they're, they're like, Oh, I just don't have time. Like, I don't care what you're doing. If you're going to the grocery store, if you're out doing yard work, like put on your, your earphones and just like get lost in something. Totally. That's a way to change the narrative. You know, do a Joe Dispenza meditation or do Wim Hof breathing or I mean, think about how crazy it is that you can from anywhere in the world with an internet connection have access to some of the best teachers on the planet. They can literally coach you specifically because there's countless videos of these people out there you know, it's really special. Yeah, we're doing a digital workshop right now. We have 150 people that come every week and I just teach them poetry. And, you know, somebody's in Ireland and somebody's in Finland and somebody, you know, and I just think the internet is in an adolescent stage. You know, there, there's consequences, clearly, 
to having all of us be in this global digital community together. But I also have a belief that the posit positive aspects of this far outweigh the consequences. And when the internet matures, we're going to have uh, a tool that can connect humanity like humanity has never had. You know, a way to go beyond our flags, beyond our beliefs, a way to connect with the highest teachers at the click of a button at any moment. But I think that we all individually and collectively need to take responsibility for that. So I love what you're saying about making, making an effort to find those mentors. You know, you still have to put in the work, but um, what a special time to be alive. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, we started with a poem. I'd love to close it with uh, a poem that's near and dear to me. And, and by the way, one more time, this book is amazing uh, because you don't have to read it cover to cover. You just pick it up and read a poem or two and can change your day and put a smile on your face. So Choir Within, my InQ here, highly recommend. Uh, perspective is the is the one that, you know, it's short and sweet, but it, it is uh, kind of in line with our conversation today. So I'd love for you to close with that if you don't mind. Absolutely. It's not enough to make my dreams come true. I want to enjoy them as I do. Because you can climb the highest mountaintop and never change your view. Perspective has to come from you. Well, thank you, Q. It's been a pleasure to get to know you, and uh, I'll make sure I put everything in the the show notes. Um, but great conversation. Thank you for being a wonderful human being and doing everything you do in the world. Thank you, man. Yeah, ditto. I really enjoy chatting with you, Joe, and I acknowledge you for uh, not only all you're doing in the world in terms of creation, but also uh, in terms of service, you know, the giving back from the podcast to the charities. And uh, I appreciate your time and look forward to more. Definitely. I hope to meet you in person soon as well. Let's do it, man. Absolutely. All right. Take care, brother. Thank you. Later, bro. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Not Almost There podcast. Huge shout out to my audio engineer, Nick Satina, and to my guest, InQ. What an amazing human being you are. I love the fact that you changed the narrative on COVID and have since, uh, since we filmed this, got married, so congratulations. But the fact that you truly decided that you wanted to take this time in history as a time you remember for something positive, I think speaks volumes. And that is the lesson that I really got out of today's episode is if you're having a bad day, a bad week, or a bad month, it's up to you to change the narrative. I'd love to hear your comments on what you thought of today's show. Please leave them either on social media or tag not almost there or on YouTube. Follow, like, subscribe. It means a ton to me. I'm looking forward to next week's episode. Until then, remember you, me, we are not almost there. <laughs>